Good morning. It was uh, wonderful being at the wedding yesterday. And um, perhaps we can apply some of the lessons from that time to the message this morning. Uh, the first thought that I had as I was looking at this passage uh, is caught in the hymn that we just sang. In fact, in fact, one of the lines said, we blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree and wither and perish, but not changeth, changeth thee. And the thought, of course, is the uh, changeableness of, of mankind, but the unchangeableness of God. Uh, a couple of illustrations regarding that. Uh, one is uh, the first uh, picture, or man on the slide. I wonder how many of you might recognize this man. Anybody? Sorry? Actually, his name is Pete, Pete Buttigieg. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. I apologize if I mispronounce it. But uh, what caught my attention, he is the first openly gay person running for nomination for president, right? And uh, there's been uh, homosexuality is probably a sin that existed for many years. Uh, so that's not necessarily new. What's new is the acceptance of it, right? The fact that a person thinks that they can uh, openly acknowledge uh, their sexual orientation and, uh, and still be running for the presidents of the United States, ex expecting that he could still find such a wide acceptance. Uh, that he would become president. Uh, probably won't, he's number four uh, right now out of a field of maybe 20 Democrats running for nomination, so his chances are not high, but it just kind of uh, gives us a sense of the change of time. 50 years ago, that would have been absolutely impossible for someone to you know, be openly uh, homosexual and running for president. You, know, you wouldn't imagine that happening. Uh, so change, uh, society has changed. Another one, and um, I was thinking about that in regarding to the wedding yesterday. Uh, next picture, uh, that's a lovely bride and groom. And uh, they uh, saved their purity for their marriage, their sexual purity. They, they didn't engage with um, sexual activity with each other or anybody else until uh, after the wedding day. Uh, and the word for that is chastity, right? To keep yourself sexually pure until uh, your actual marriage. And I got this from the World Atlas. It says, chastity is no longer a sense of pride in society today. In fact, those who delay sexual activities are considered abnormal and naive in society today. So again, a change, right? Our, our society's sense of right and wrong is, is clearly changing. But Malachi 3.6 tells us, for I am the Lord, 
I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. So God is not like us. He does not change. His values, his sets of right and wrongs do not change with the season or even over thousands of years. He remains the same. So let's keep that in mind as we read the passage for today. For those of you who haven't been with us, we've been going systematically through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we are in the midst of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. We made it all the way to verse 17 so far, and we'll read up to verse 20. So Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's clear from this passage that the Lord Jesus is concerned about the possibility of uh, people interpreting his words and actions as destroying or changing uh, the law and the prophets. I have a number of children in school, and one of the things that they bring to us at the beginning of the school year is a piece of paper. Maybe we can get an example of it. Anybody recognizes what this is? Or can read the tiny font? It's a syllabus. A syllabus. The syllabus uh, describes the uh, plan that the teacher has for the course. Uh, it, it, it describes what the teacher is expecting you to be doing uh, during the course, and maybe a number of other things that are important for the teacher for you to know. And these days, you have to sign it, and your parent has to sign it, and you need to bring it back something like the second day of school in order to get some credit for it, or you might be marked a big zero, and you're starting your school year at a disadvantage. Uh, why? Why is this so important? Well, it's important for the teacher that you succeed in the class, uh, and it's important for the teacher to be able to teach effectively in the class, and these things uh, can happen more efficiently if everybody understands what they're getting into uh, right off the get-go and are committing themselves to maintaining the standards that are expected uh, in the class. Well, the Jews had something like that in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is referring to in the Law and the Prophets. And we're talking about the Jews of Jesus' day. 
Uh, the Old Testament has been fully written by that point. In fact, it's been about 400 years since uh, the last book was added to it. So they all had a pretty good idea, if you would, of the class syllabus being the Old Testament. This is what God gave them. This is what God uh, expected of them. And uh, now, why would they think that Jesus was going to change any of that or break any of that? I could think, and this is just me um, uh, kind of guessing what the reasons might be, but one, uh, Jesus came from outside of the religious establishment. So the Jews had uh, the priests uh, who were given uh, by the law of Moses. They were the ones who officiated at the temple, handled the sacrifices, and they were recognized even in the Old Testament as a religious authority. They had the scribes. The scribes were the experts of the law. They were the ones who studied it. They were the ones who copied additional copies of the Old Testament, so they knew what the law and the prophets said backward and forward. And you had the Pharisees, who were people so dedicated to keeping the laws that uh, they left, if you would, ordinary society. That's why they're called Pharisees. Literally means those who have separated themselves from others. So those were considered the religious establishment, and Jesus was not one of them. He was uh, the son of a carpenter and um, came from outside of that group and was teaching the word of God, doing miracles. So people said, well, he came from outside of the group. Maybe he has something new. Maybe he has something different to teach us than, than what they had. So that would be maybe one reason why they would think Jesus would be destroying the law and the prophets or changing the program or the syllabus. For another, Jesus associated himself with a different group of people. The uh, religious leaders generally avoided the outcasts of societies, the tax collectors, uh, prostitutes, known sinners, and Jesus did the opposite. He went out to those people. He welcomed those people. So someone might say, well, he's changing the program. Something is different here. Uh, a third reason I can think of is Jesus openly forgave people's sins. Remember, people came to him, he healed them. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And again, people might think, okay, that's a change. <laughs> Nobody else has ever done that. So maybe he's changing. Maybe he's going to destroy the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus' answer to that in uh, verse 17 and again in verse 18 is, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I didn't come to destroy God's plan if you would, or God's expectation, this syllabus of the Old Testament, I have come to fulfill it. Let's see how many of you can guess what the next uh, picture is. Take a look at it for a few seconds and tell me what you think it is. Eliana is not allowed to say, because she's in it. I'm sorry? Yeah, well, almost. Uh, it, is, it is a service at a synagogue. So we'll get, give you partial credit for that one. Yeah, there was, maybe as a hint, what important Jewish holiday just happened this week? Yom Kippur, right, I heard there. Um, well, Mrs. Love, so she gets the rest of your credit. 
But uh, yeah, Yom Kippur, uh, it's also known as the Day of Atonement. Uh, and uh, so that was a Jewish holiday celebrated uh, this week. And my dad uh, FaceTimed me during what they call the blowing of the shofar, which is kind of the highlight of, of the celebration. So the way it's typically celebrated t today, if you wanted to celebrate the Day of Atonement today, you'd go to a synagogue during a particular day of the year, and they'd have a long service. And then you would fast until the following day, and you'd go again in for another long service at the synagogue. And at the end of it, there would be the blowing of the shofar, or the ram horn, and that would symbolize the end of it. Um, and the reason my dad FaceTimed me during this time is, you know, he believed that I should try to participate in it, right? This is, my dad is not a believer in the Lord Jesus. Uh, he's, he's from a Jewish background, of course, as I am. And, I, and he felt that I need to somehow participate in it. And this is something that uh, maybe uh, Mrs. Love can appreciate. The rest of you may not, but you may have it in other cultures. And, um, this kind of sense of obligation that you have to do, you know, what people expect you to do. Um, in particular, part of your heritage, part of, part of my heritage was growing up Jewish, going to these services, uh, keeping Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement as it's celebrated, and you know, you kind of feel guilty, I'm not doing it, I'm supposed to be doing it. And I have to remind myself, why am I not doing it? You know, why am I not there? And the answer really is in this text. Right? Jesus says that he came to fulfill. Not one jot, nor one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. How did Jesus fulfill the day of atonement? Um, so to, to you know, refresh our mind on that, we kind of have to go back, well, what's the day of atonement about? I have a, the next picture. And uh, anybody knows what this is? Yeah, tabernacle, very good. So this is the tabernacle. Uh, the Jews were commanded to build it as they were traveling in the wilderness from Egypt to Israel. And the purpose of the tabernacle was a place for God to dwell in the midst of his people. God wanted to have fellowship with the nation of Israel but that required that he would have a special place that was holy, separated from sin, in the midst of the people. And uh, once a year, God asked them to, to celebrate, if you would, the Day of Atonement, uh, in order to cleanse, to keep the tabernacle cleansed from the sins of the people. Here's a verse that might uh, touch on that, Leviticus 16. So you could go to Leviticus 16, read the whole chapter, and have a, a better understanding of what the Day of Atonement is about. But I just grabbed a couple of verses that, that capture the meaning. Verse 15 in Leviticus 16. Then, and this is the description of what it is that really needs to happen on the Day of Atonement. Then he, that is the priest, shall take the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, that would be the veil inside of that tabernacle, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies. That's the holiest place 
inside of that tabernacle. So the priest brought his blood and he sprinkles it on the, on the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So, you know, a lot of words, big words that may be a little bit difficult to understand, but the main point is this. God wanted to have fellowship with his people. He wanted to be in the midst of his people, but their sins were creating a barrier that prevented them from having fellowship with him. So he had to remove their sins. He had to cleanse them from their sins. And the Day of Atonement was really this once a year memorial of what it is that God needed to do in order to continue to have fellowship with his people. How did Jesus fulfill this? Because remember, Jesus here is saying, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill. Romans chapter 3 answers that question. In fact, you could find it in multiple places in the New Testament, but this is one good place for it. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, God is showing us how we could truly be righteous with him, and this is actually witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning the law and the prophets give substance or backing to what Jesus did to make us righteous, to fix the sin problem that we have. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and to all who believe. We can have the righteousness of God. We can be as righteous as God is through faith in the Lord Jesus. Everyone who believes in him can have that righteousness. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How is it that God can make you and me righteous. How can he do it? Through Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Remember the blood that the priest would take and sprinkle on the mercy seat to cleanse us from our sins. That was a picture of the blood of Jesus that was going to be shed for you and me on the cross. So by dying on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the picture that the law was given, giving to us. And that's why Jesus could say, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill, to, to do those things that the law predicted would be done, to fulfill the picture that the law was trying to paint. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Back to Matthew chapter 5, then Jesus applies it. He says, whoever therefore 
breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Think of this syllabus that the teacher gave you at the beginning of the year. And it says in it what the teacher is planning to teach you during his class, how he's planning to do it. And it has on it also the expectation that the teacher has from you for the class. What would you think if the teacher just completely departs from it? He says, well, I'll be you know, teaching you math from this book, right? And um, I'll be giving you homework uh, every day. And uh, I'll give you quizzes once a week. And you'll have a big test uh, once a month, right? He's telling you his plan. And then he has a list of expectations from you. But from the first day, he completely departs from his plan. And instead of teaching you math, he's letting you watch movies every day on, on the screen, right? And then at the end of the week, you know, he gives you a quiz about the math that was in the book, right? Uh, you would say, wait a second. You, know, <laughs> you weren't following the syllabus. And as a result, I haven't been studying for the test. And that's why I'm not doing as well as I ought to do. Right? When, when the teacher is not following the syllabus, you would automatically feel absolved from your responsibility to adhering to the expectation the teacher has from you. So what would we conclude from the fact that Jesus was adhering to God's plan of salvation and in fact paid the ultimate price to fulfill God's God's plan, God's plan of salvation. Well, it means that everything else that is in the syllabus or the law and the prophets uh, is of utmost importance for you to keep as well, right? God is showing us how serious he is about his word by Jesus going to the cross. I should also consider God's word to be serious and, and consider what my responsibility is that the word of God uh, outlines. I remember uh, being a student in high school myself. I was in 11th grade. And uh, I, I was responsible in, uh, in doing my homework. Uh, but I felt it was a waste to uh, change from one sheet of paper to the next one. When I filled the sheet of paper, I instead flipped the sheet of paper over. And I wrote on the back side as well. I continued doing my homework on the back side of it. Uh, and the teacher didn't like it. And he told me, please don't do that. And, and it could be that the teacher, as I was, was getting advanced in age. And uh, the writings on the back made it harder to read the writing on the front. Or maybe he liked correcting it with a big, bold marker. And that would transfer to the back and make things more difficult. So he would ask me, please stop using the same sheet of paper. I'd like you to please you know, just go ahead and move on to the next sheet of paper when you're done with the front. And uh, I didn't take him seriously. And so one day, he uh, brought to me the homework I just completed. And he ripped it up in front of my eyes and said, you know, now do it on two sheets of paper. And uh, I was uh, quite miffed by him doing that and, uh, and laboriously you know, copied the homework on two sheets of paper instead. 
but I never did it again. <laughs> so I learned my lesson. Jesus says here that whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments um, and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, uh, I could have told my teacher, look, you know, I am doing the homework that you assigned. You know, isn't that sufficient? And his answer would be, well, yes, you did something I asked you to do, and that's a good thing. But I also ask you to use two different sheets of paper, and you're not following my instructions. Uh, in the same way, when we approach God's word, we can say, Lord, um, you know, we're doing really well. You say in your word uh, that I shouldn't murder, and I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, and the Lord will say, well, that's good, but there's other commandments have given in my word besides for do not murder. James tells us, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet st stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. All of God's commandments are important. It's not enough to just pick and choose which of his commandments we're going to follow and think that we're doing well enough by uh, picking the ones that we think are more important. Jesus says, um, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, I think it's hard for us to uh, deal with, uh, with God expecting of us to be perfect or anybody, for that matter, expecting us to be perfect. Uh, Eliana's PE teacher told the, the kids in the class that she was going to give them a quiz in their PE class at the end of the week. And the quiz was uh, throwing the basketball into the hoop. And the teacher said, uh, you will each get three shots from the free throw line. If you make the first one, you get three points out of three points. If you make the second, you get two. If you get the third, you get one. If you didn't make any of the three, you get zero. Uh, we felt that that was expecting a lot, right? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know about you. Unless you're a professional basketball player, you wouldn't expect to make your first free throw shot, right? Uh, and uh, yet our kids have been trained to try to excel in their schoolwork and to get an A, and to get an A, you have to make your first free throw shot. And uh, you know, if you make your second one, that's like a B or a C. If you make your third one, I don't know, that's like an F or a D, and then a big fat C if you didn't make, boy, I mean, that's a high standard. Well, guess what happened? So many kids complained that the teacher lowered the standard and said, okay, I'll give you two shots out of anywhere and if you can make one of those two shots, you'll get three out of three, right? So you can stand as close as you want and throw. And if you miss the first one, you can try again. And if you make that one, okay, well, now you got three out of three, a perfect score, right? And um, I think that's what we're used to. We're used to 
be able to do something less than perfect and still get a perfect grade. Uh, but God is not like that. Let me ask you this. How many times can Will cheat on Sharon without becoming an adulterer? How many times? Zero. He's not allowed to do it at all, right? God expects him, and I think Sharon expects him. The truth is, all of us who were there yesterday and witnessed the vows expect him never to cheat on her, right? That's God's standard of perfection. In the verses we just read, it said, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. That is God's standard, and that is God's expectation from you and from me. Now, let's be honest, we can't keep it, right? But that's still what God wants. That's still God's standard. That is the law and the prophets, right? God's perfection. Why? Because God is perfect, and he can't accept anything short of perfection. Okay, how do we apply these truths to us today? How do we apply these truths to us today? In other words, what's the value of God's syllabus, the law and the prophets? And, and let's just throw in Jesus in the New Testament too, because Jesus says, I have come to fulfill. Fulfill the law and the prophets. And that's really the New Testament is God's fulfillment of his promises in the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, it teaches us about God's expectation of us, and God expects perfection. He expects that uh, we keep all his commandments, and that we keep all his commandments perfectly. Now, uh, he didn't tell this to us because he expects us to actually be able to do it, and therefore enter the kingdom of heaven. He knows we can't do it. Uh, in fact, the Bible teaches us that God gave the law to convict us of our sins and to show us our inability to make it into uh, heaven by our own efforts. But the law and the prophets and the Lord Jesus also show us God's perfect provision for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can I get the picture of the lamb up now? That's, um, I kind of skipped that one earlier. But uh, something that the priests uh, needed to do during the Day of Atonement or during Yom Kippur, as it was, celebrated in the Old Testament, uh, they were to put their hands on the head of the lamb and confess on the lamb all the sins of the nation of Israel. And uh, that is what God did with the Lord Jesus. He made him who knew no sin. The lamb hasn't sinned. The lamb hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus hasn't sinned. He hasn't done anything wrong, and yet it is as if God, in fact, God did put all of our sins on the Lord Jesus. He made him who knew no sin 
to become sin for us. And why did he do it? So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Any of you who has placed his faith in the Lord Jesus for salvation has been cleansed from the sins by God. And in fact, God has placed upon you the righteousness of Christ so that you are perfect in him. And now you are fit to have a relationship with God or fellowship with God, which is what God desires for you and for me. So that's the first application we can make from the law and the prophets and the New Testament is that God has provided a lamb. He provided a perfect sacrifice for you and for me for our salvation so that if we would put our faith in him in the Lord Jesus we can enjoy an eternal fellowship with God uh, both here on earth it starts now eternal life starts today and in, in heaven for all of eternity with God so that's the first application the second one is it shows us how how we can show God our love to him today. Can we go back to the picture of Will and Sharon? <clears throat> this morning, um, Sharon uh, woke up and uh, probably had certain things in her mind. Uh, she was probably thinking about uh, the wedding last night but uh, also, next to her, uh, there's Will. And, uh, and here is the man she's going to live the rest of her life with. And I imagine that she was thinking, you know, what can I do for Will? What can I do to, to bless Will? Uh, why would she be thinking that? Well, because she loves Will. That's why she got married to him uh, last night. And um, that's something we could apply uh, to ourselves. Uh, we have an eternal groom in heaven. Uh, we, by putting our faith in him, become his bride, right? We have entered into an eternal relationship with him and can certainly be thinking, what could we do, what could we do to please the Lord Jesus. Uh, Sharon may have good reasons to love Will. Uh, he looks like a handsome fellow uh, and uh, probably is a really nice guy. You know, I, I don't know him as well as, as, as she does. She had an opportunity to get to know him for over a year and, and she must have seen something about his character uh, that was appealing to her. Um, he, uh, he has done many things for her. Uh, he sent her flowers and, and did other things to show her his love. And so, and so she's justified in loving him and wanting to please him. Um, I will submit to you that Jesus is lovelier. You know, nothing against Will personally. Uh, his, his character is flawless. And, uh, and he's done for us more than Will has or ever will do uh, for Sharon. And so our love 
for the Lord Jesus is uh, justifiably greater than the love that uh, Sharon has for Will. And so our desire to please him, how can Sharon know uh, what to do to please Will? How can she find out what is it that, that Will will appreciate? We took uh, Raising Kids God's Way class uh, years ago, me and my wife and some others here, and uh, we were taught about love languages. And the, the concept behind love languages is we don't all appreciate love the same way, right? Uh, it could be that your love language uh, is, uh, is someone telling you that they love you, you know, or maybe saying nice things to you that makes you feel good. Or it might be gifts. You might like receiving gifts. It might be touch. Um, there's, there's different things that we could do to show people how we love them. Uh, so Sharon will have to find out what's Will's love language. What is it that he appreciates? What is it that he enjoys um, in order to, to most effectively show him uh, that she loves him. Now, hopefully, Will won't make it too difficult for her, right? He can tell her, you know, I love these things. These are the things that I, I enjoy. I like spending time with you. I like uh, your cooking. Who knows, right? What it is that Will will appreciate most about her. But uh, it sure makes her life easy if he communicates, right? And lets her know, yeah, this is what really makes me feel special. Uh, so this is what we have uh, in the Word of God, the Law and the Prophets. And the New Testament is a revelation for us of what it is that God appreciates. Jesus said this in John 14. Uh, he says it three times in three different verses. He says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. And then again, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then again, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus makes it really easy for us if we want to show him that we love him. We keep his commandments. It's not uh, coming to church. It's not singing, it's not giving money, it's simply obedience. Now those things could be obedience, coming to church could be obedience, singing could be in obedience, giving uh, financially could be in obedience, but really it's your obedience that the Lord Jesus is after. He loves you and gave himself for you and he would love for you to do those things that please him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that our salvation is not by works. There is uh, no way we could ever meet your standard of perfection. Um, and you knew that, and you sent the Lord Jesus to be 
our Savior. We thank you that he loved us unto death and gives us the opportunity to show him our love to him. We pray for us, Lord, that you might help us be diligent in applying the truth of your word to our lives, that we might see the Lord Jesus glorified through us and that he might be able to look into our lives and see how much we love him. For we ask it in his name. Amen.